Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, today we are going to finish up the series that we've been in called Hello, My Name Is, as we have been taking a look at the covenant names of God. And uh, as we've been looking at that, we're going to finish that up today. Now, let me ask you a question as we get into it. Have you ever gone to the doctor? Or maybe you know somebody. It's not you. You know someone else. They've gone to the doctor. Uh, they've got a problem. They go to the doctor. They run some tests. The doctor does some blood work, looks over some things, and then comes back with a diagnosis and says, this is what you need to do. Maybe it is you need exercise or you need to take this medication or you need to, 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 to have this surgery. And uh, how, how, have you ever just not liked the prognosis or what the doctor has come back with? Anybody not like that before? You kind of like, ah, I don't know if I agree with that. So what happens? You, well, maybe I don't get as much exercise as I should. Maybe I don't do what I should. Maybe I decide, you know, I don't like that doctor. I'm going to switch doctors so that I can, I can get a diagnosis that I like. <laughs> right? I know nobody in here has done that, but I'm sure you know somebody like that. Uh, you see, oftentimes uh, what happens is, this is sometimes like it's like in our relationship with God, we do the same thing. He, we have some issues. We have some certain things. God prescribes something to us in his word. He tells us in his word what we ought to do. And well, I just don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like what he's telling me. And uh, so I decide not to do it or to do something else. Or maybe I just switch gods, right? Maybe I, maybe I go to a, to a lesser God with a little more convenient, who's a little more adaptive or flexible to my lifestyle, to my values, to my goals. I know we don't do that at all, do we? The Israelites were doing that though. In fact, if we take a look at their history, and uh, uh, again, they had been in the land. This is a time when they had had uh, kings in the land. They had had Saul, and then they had had David and Solomon. And then all of a sudden, uh, there, there was a split in the kingdom. Rehoboam, uh, there was a split under his leadership. He was David's uh, grandson. There was a split under his, his kingdom. And uh, a guy by the name of Jeroboam came in, and, and uh, he took most of the kingdom away. They became the northern tribes of Israel. And then you had the smaller tribes of Judah and you had these two kingdoms that were split. And, uh, and, and it depended on who was in charge, what leadership was in charge, what kings were in charge. Israel just continued to go further and further away from God. That's where you have kings like Ahab. That, that, that's where, where you have uh, Jezebel, where you have uh, them worshiping other gods. And all of a sudden the Assyrians come in and they take them captive. But Judah is still remaining. And God's hand is still on them. And they're still following the line of, of David. The problem is, is they too begin to worship other gods. They too begin to worship the gods of the peoples around them. And uh, they're on the verge at a particular point where, where God is about to judge them. And he's going to allow the nation of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to come in and to begin to take them captive. Well, during that time, there's a prophet. And his name is Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah begins to, to, to call the people to repentance. He begins to share with them about God's wrath and God's judgment. And what God is about to do because they have turned their back on him and they have begun to worship 
worship the other gods. They have begun to worship other gods. And, uh, and so uh, it's in this time where, where we have a name that's revealed, a name of God that's revealed to the Israelites, and it occurs uh, only in the book of Jeremiah, two occurrences. They both occur here in the book of Jeremiah. Again, the book of Jeremiah is a discouraging book. Uh, if you're feeling depressed, don't read the book of Jeremiah, okay? He also wrote Lamentations, if you can understand that. He, he was the prophet who would, was called the weeping prophet. So if you are depressed, Jeremiah is not the book you want to read. Jeremiah is, is, again, in a time period with the southern kingdoms of Judah. He is prophesying and his heart is grieved because the, 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 the people there in Judah continue to, to worship other gods and continue to move themselves away from Jehovah God. And so here it is in this time as they depart from God and, and deterioration begins to happen in their lives and in their nation. That's what happens, right? God is the essence of our life. And when we begin to move away from his principles, when we begin to, to, to worship other gods, when we begin to, to compromise in our values, what happens? It leads to the deterioration of our life and it also leads to the deterioration of our nation. Anybody seen that before? Yeah, it is relevant for today. And in this particular situation, again, he is, Jeremiah is detailing a warning of the impending judgment of God that they would face due to their rebellion against God. Moral decline. Moral decline among the leaders. Moral decline among the people leading to a compromise of God's righteous standard. But amidst the prophecy of judgment... Amidst the warning and a prophecy of judgment comes uh, a, a word of hope where another part of God's character is revealed through his name. A part of his nature and his character that Jeremiah begins to draw upon and begins to provide hope for the people of Judah. This is what it says, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel, again prophesying to the northern tribes of Israel, will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. What is that name? The Lord is our righteousness. It is Jehovah Sidkenu. Everybody say Sidkenu. Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. And uh, it means the Lord is our righteousness. The root word, Sidek, means straight or stiff or refers to walking a straight path without deviating to the right or the left. It means that, that God always lives up to his own divine standards of behavior. He never walks a crooked path. He never deviates from his holiness. Everything God does is in harmony with his character and with his nature. Morally, ethically, and spiritually, he is consistent. A consistent standard. How many know in our day and age, the line of what is right and what is wrong tends to move by whoever you talk to or whatever is happening in the moment? 
So at one point, something is not okay until somebody else says it is. And all of a sudden, the line gets moved and they say, who are you to tell me that that's not right? Who are you to tell me I can't do that? That, that what I believe is not right? Who are, what is, what is right? What is truth? What is right? What is wrong? You see, Jehovah said, Kenu, the Lord is holy. The Lord God is righteous. The Lord God is without crooked or deviation. He doesn't deviate to the right and he doesn't deviate to the left. He is the standard and his righteousness never changes no matter what else is going on around the world or how you and I feel or even how he feels he doesn't change that means that he is consistent unshifting stable 24 7 for example if he's compassionate he's compassionate all the time we we talked about this the first week when we were getting this series hello my name is that when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush and Moses says not just what is your name but who is your name who is your character who are you God said to him to Moses I am who I am this is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you that means whatever God is like, he's that way. God is consistent, so he's compassionate. He's compassionate all the time. If he's gracious, he is gracious all the time. If he is cons it is consistent with his character and he can be trusted, that means that his righteousness, his holy standard does not change. It does not change. Hebrews puts it this way, he is the same yesterday, Today, come on, some of you know it, and tomorrow. He's the same. He's the same. He, he is the same God. That consistency is, is included in his standards of righteousness and holiness. He, he, the things that God holds to don't change based on culture. They don't change based on circumstances. And they do not change based on your situation. Doesn't change based on feelings. He is the same God. So as he defines justice... He is the God of justice. And when it comes to righteousness, you need to think of it as a line, right? This is the line or this is the standard. This is the line, the consistent line, the consistent standard. It doesn't move up and it doesn't move down. It, this is the line of God's standard. This is the line of God's holiness. This is the bar of his holiness. And within the word righteous is the word right. And so to truly understand what righteousness means, we have to understand what the opposite of righteousness is, which is that which is wrong or disobedient or unrighteous. Unrighteous, or we might call it that three-letter word we don't like to say in our culture, sin. Right? The definition of sin is clearly explained in another portion of Scripture. It's in David's confession of faith. You see, David had, had kind of began to compromise in his own relationship with God. One day, he wasn't going out to, to war. He was up on the roof, and he began to get tempted. He looked out and he saw a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba who happened to be bathing. And instead of taking his eyes off of her, he lusted after her. He brought her and committed adultery with her. And then trying to cover it up, invited her husband Uriah, who was one of his, his main soldiers and warriors, to come back from battle and to give a report. It wasn't really to give a report. He was trying to get him drunk so that he'd go back and sleep with his wife and cover up the fact that she had been pregnant because of their adulterous relationship. But Uriah was a righteous man. 
And he would not do it. And so instead, David sent him back to the front lines with a a note of instruction for them to put him at the front lines and pull back so that he would be killed in battle. Literally, adultery and murder and cover-up and lies. And so in David's being confronted by Nathan the prophet, in his repentance, he pens Psalm 51. And these are the opening words of this psalm of repentance in Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In this passage, we find three words that define out for us what sin is, what unrighteousness is. The first word is transgression. Transgression. But I know what the word transgression means. In the Hebrew, it means to rebel or to trespass. You might think of, 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 of uh, uh, the prayer that, uh, that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and we say, forgive those who trespass against me. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against What does the word trespass mean? Well, to help illustrate that, how many have ever come to a place where, where maybe it was a, a property that was owned by the city or owned by somebody privately, they had a fence all around, and on it were, 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 were signs that said, private property, do not cross. Or, 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 or something that, that, that said, do not, do not go, this is, this is private property, do not go over, do not cross over here. Anybody ever been tempted to jump the fence? What's so private? What do they got going on there that, that, that's so private, right? When you cross the boundary line and you cross the fence and you go and you begin to, to peek around where you were told not to go, that's called what? Trespassing. Trespassing. You're crossing a boundary where it was clear that you were told not to go. It's rebellion. It is. So if, if, if God's standard, God's righteousness is a line, it is the line, what happens when you trespass is you cross the line. You cross the line. That's what, a, that's what a trespass is. Trespassing is crossing the line. We cross the line. We rebel. We do what we've been told not to do. We trespass against what God said not to do. That is a transgression. That's a transgression. And God's righteousness is a line. And when we intentionally rebel against God, doing what we know we should not do, we cross the line and we trespass. The second word that David uses is iniquity. That's an interesting word. It's the Hebrew word avon, A-V-O-N. You might want to say avon. It's not avon or avon lake over on the west side. Avon. It means to bend, twist, distort, or crooked. Iniquities are bending and twisting and distorting the law of God and his word to different degrees that are worthy of punishment. So iniquity might mean to bend the line. So if God's standard is the line, transgression is I've crossed the line. Iniquity says I'm going to conform the line, bend the line a little bit to what I, to my desires and to what I think is right and wrong. So I'm going to take what God says and I'm going to twist it a little bit and make it fit into my world and what, what I want it to say. It might be Something like a conversation I had with someone a couple of years ago who gave me a call and wanted to know if, 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 it was a, if, if they were in sin, forgive me, if they were in sin because 
they were, they were living with their fiance. And their fiance was not able to get a divorce because of, of some things legally. And they, they just knew that God had this person just for them. And that was going to make them happy. And that was going to meet their needs. And God loved them, right? And he wants them to be happy. And so until that happens, isn't it okay for us to, to live together and support one another in this relationship until we can make it right down the line. We will make it right at one point, but at this point, we, 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 we just, we just can't because legally we're not there and, 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 and his ex won't sign the paperwork. And so we know that's wrong and this is right. And pastor, can you just affirm to me that I shouldn't feel guilty about this, that God's okay with this relationship? Now, that's an extreme example. But if we're honest, we do this in our lives, right? We bend the truth a little bit to fit our desires to protect us and our guilt. We twist, twist and, and, and make it conform to my desires. We take bits and pieces of God's word that we like and, and we conform it with things that we don't like and we twist it to make it fit our standard of righteousness. We twist the line. That's called iniquity. That's called iniquity. To twist the truth to fit my needs and desires. And then David just comes right out and says sin. Sin. And the Hebrew word for sin is the picture of an archer who is lining up but misses the mark. So it's missing the line. It's falling short of the line. It, 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 it's not attaining to the standard. No matter what my attempts are, I can't obtain to that standard of righteousness or holiness. I am missing the mark. So God's righteousness, when it comes to God's righteousness, understanding the opposite, unrighteousness is sin, transgression, and iniquity. It's crossing the line through rebellion and disobedience. It's bending the line to conform it to my own desires. And it's falling short of the line and missing it all together. Now, there are three aspects to sin that I want to help us further define out what that is. The condition of sin, Scripture tells us, is universal. That all of us have this condition. All of us have this condition. The Bible is clear that God is righteous and we are not. We are not. Sin is a universal condition affecting everyone. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short, fall short of the line, fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Scripture is clear. Sin is a universal condition that is affecting every human being. You don't have to teach people to sin. If you've got a toddler, you know that. You don't have to teach people to sin. You don't have to teach them what that is. You don't have to teach them when you say, you know, here, here's a cookie, but you're going to have to wait to eat your cookie until after you eat your, your meal. And uh, you, don't, you don't have to teach them to look at you and kind of watch and see when you're not looking and slide that little cookie over and take a bite. Nobody, nobody had to teach that. Why? Because sin is a universal condition. It's something that we all have. Romans 5.12 said it's been passed down from the time of Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
All sinned. Adam willfully disobeyed God. He transgressed upon the command of God and sin entered the world and it became a part of the human condition or the human nature. Yet it's not something we can simply blame Adam for because not only is it a part of the sinful nature, but it's a part of what we do and we are guilty because we too transgress the law of the Lord. Consider the story of a forester. Forgive me, Pastor Sam, but his name was Sam. Or you're up in the sound booth. Forgive me, Pastor Sam. His name is Sam. This is not Pastor Sam, by the way. This is just somebody who's a forester by the name of Sam. Sam chopped down trees every day. And every time the boss came by, he'd hear Sam saying, Oh, Adam. Oh, Adam. Oh, Adam. So one day the boss asked him, what do you mean every time I walk by that you keep saying, oh, Adam, when you're chopping down trees? And Sam replied, because if Adam hadn't sinned, I wouldn't have to do this backbreaking work, which is part of the curse. So the boss said to Sam, oh, Sam, come with me. And he took Sam to a palatial home with a tennis court and a swimming pool and a maid and a butler. And he said, Sam, all of this is yours. I give it to you. You never have to complain again because I'm giving this perfect environment to you. Anything you want, you can have. And Sam could not believe it. But the boss said, now you can have everything you want all the time, except on this table, there's this little box. Don't touch the little box. You can have everything else. Just don't touch the little box. Whatever you do, don't touch it. So from then on, Sam played tennis every day and he swam and he had friends over. And then he started to get a little bored. And he looked all around. He said, I can have all of this except with that little box. What is up with that little box? And so he began every day to walk by and take a look at that little box. And then a couple of days, he got closer to that little box. And he was just really curious about the little box. And he kept telling himself, no, 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 don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. No, 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 don't. But one day, one day, he could not help himself. And he opened the little box and a moth threw out, flew out and he couldn't catch the little moth. And when the boss came home, he found the moth had escaped. And immediately, Sam went back to the forest, was sent back to the forest to chop trees. And the next day, when the, bo when the boss walked by, he heard Sam going, oh, Sam, oh, Sam, oh, Sam. We can blame Adam all we want. But the truth is, you and I are unrighteous. We are unrighteous because sin has been passed down and we are unrighteous because we will transgress against the law of God. That's just part of our human nature. We cross the line, we bend the line and we miss the line altogether. We all sin. Second aspect is the ambition of sin. You see, the ambition of sin is control. And when I say ambition, what I'm saying is the goal or the intention or the aim. What's the purpose? What's sin's purpose? What does, it, what does it do? And the best answer that I have is to go back to Genesis chapter 4. See, in Genesis chapter 4, uh, Adam and Eve had had two sons. Their names were Cain and Abel. And they were bringing offerings unto the Lord. And, and Abel's offering was accepted, but Cain's offering was not. And Cain was angry about that. God, you didn't accept my sacrifice. God, I don't understand. See, God had a righteous standard. And Cain's sacrifice wasn't lining up with what God's righteous standard was. And God wasn't going to compromise that. And so Cain was angry about that. Why did you accept Abel's sacrifice, but not mine? Why is his sacrifice meeting the, the, the standard that you have, but mine? is not and he, he was having a problem and he was angry and so God has a conversation with Cain and Genesis 4 6 and 7 why are you so angry the Lord asked Cain 
Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. Look at here, sin's ambition. Eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Sin wants to control you. Sin wants to master you. Sin wants to rule over you. And sin is a terrible slave master. Sin's desire is to rule your life. And it wants to rule your life as a, as a, as a slave driver to you. And eventually to kill you to death. Leads to death spiritually and physically. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What does wages mean? Wages is a payment that you receive for something that, that you do. When I, when I work and I, I work the hours that I work and there's an agreed upon wage that I get paid for working the hours that I do. That's what wages are. And, and, and the, the payment for sin, when we sin, when we transgress, when we have iniquity, when we miss the mark, when we trespass against God, we are storing up wages and those wages of sin that we are storing up, scripture tells us is death. Death. Romans 5, 12 said, and not just that sin entered through Adam, but death because everyone sins. In Romans 5, 14 and 17, Paul uses the phrase death reigned, death reigned. You see, the ambition of sin is control to master, to enslave and to kill you and I. Death reigned. What keeps mortuaries in business? What keeps the undertakers going? Why do cemeteries stay in business? Why is it that they never run out of customers? Because death reigns. Because death reigns. Life insurance is based on one of the theological truths here that death reigns. That's the heritage we have from our first father, Adam. He sinned. And as a result, death now reigns in the earth. So the next time you see a hearse, remind yourself, death reigns. The next time you drive past a funeral home, remember, death reigns. The next time you pass a cemetery, remember, death reigns. Pastor, that is not encouraging at all. Like when I come to church, I want to be encouraged, Pastor. Like, can't you preach something more encouraging? You keep talking about sin and death. Like, I'm ready to get up and, and, and walk out of here. It's a sober reality, isn't it? But without that reality, we never understand, number three, the solution to sin, which is Christ. The solution to sin is Christ. There are two main ways that people deal with the problem. Now, allow me an illustration how many are familiar with the term or the three-letter acronym DIY? DIY, what does DIY stand for? Do it yourself, right? I mean, we got a world of do it yourself. I'm all about do it yourself. I mean, YouTube has provided all kinds of videos to help me do it myself. When my, when my dryer had, 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 had had problems and died a couple of years ago, man, I got on YouTube and typed in what, the, what I thought the problem, and you know what? There was a do-it-yourself video that popped up that helped me diagnose the problem. I ordered the part, the part came in, I took it apart the way the video said, I put it back together, and guess what? This time it worked, my dryer actually worked. I've had other times where the YouTube video didn't help me. I want to just share with you a couple of, uh, uh, of DYI fails, right? DYI fails. So, so the first, how many of you love Olaf from, from uh, uh, Frozen? Anybody love Olaf? Birthday cake here. Somebody was there. There was, a, there was the ideal. I think we got a picture here. There's the expectation. That's the expectation. And 
that was the DIY reality. Right? Anybody been there before? That was the DIY. Now, we're coming to fall craft shows, all right? So how about a wreath, all right? Here's a fall wreath, right? Here's a beautiful wreath. That's the way, or maybe Christmas or whatever on the left, that's the way it's supposed to look. On the right, that's the way it ended up. DIY, right? And then how about a, a wonderful orange-scented candle, right? Right? You take a, an orange, you, you cut it in half, you clean out the inside, and then when you light a candle, it's supposed to give off an orange fragrance. Here it is. The expectation on the top, the reality on the bottom, right? DIY, right? Sometimes DIY will work, other times it fails. Can I tell you that when it comes to trying to deal with the problem of sin and unrighteousness in our lives, you and I have the righteous standard of God, the line of who God is, and uh, more times than not, the expectation is not what it's supposed to be. More times than not, we end up failing. DIY fails. And that was what was happening. In fact, uh, in Isaiah, he says that even our righteous, even our righteous acts are as filthy rags. So the, the problem to sin is not DIY. It's not do it yourself. It's not fix it on your own. If we go back to Jeremiah 23, God reveals his name, the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. And this is what Je Jeremiah prophesies. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the days, in his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. What is Jeremiah prophesying here? It says it'll raise up for David a righteous branch. That means a descendant of David will reign as king who will execute justice and righteousness. The standard of God, that standard of holiness, that standard of righteousness, that standard of justice in the land. And that righteous branch will be called Jehovah Sidkenu. Now, this is one of the passages in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of this Davidic covenant that God had made with David, that he would never lack a king or a descendant in his line to sit on the throne. It was a messianic prophecy that was fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. How does this connect to sin and unrighteousness? Well, remember, the people of Judah had sinned against God yet again. They had gone after other gods. They had gone after other idols. Their leaders had led them there. They were facing God's judgment, and they were going to be led into captivity in Babylon. Yet amidst the despair and judgment, God gives them the promise of righteousness, the promise of righteousness. And he says that Jesus is going to be the Lord, our righteousness. He is going to be the fulfillment of God's righteous branch in the, in the Davidic line, righteous branch of David. Second Corinthians 521, Paul says this, for our sake, he made him who's him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. So that that in him we might become, look at this, the righteousness 
of God. What is the solution to our unrighteousness? What was the prophetic that Jeremiah was saying in the prophecy was going to be the answer to the problem of unrighteousness? It was that he was going to raise up a branch from the line of David who would bring justice and righteousness. And that was a prophecy of Jesus who knew no sin, yet he became sin for us that in him we might have that righteous standard. We might attain what we cannot DIY, do on our own, but we can only do through Jesus Christ. Come on, that's what it is. The wages of sin was death, but Jesus paid those wages upholding the very standard and holiness of God, not compromising it, not twisting it, not falling short of it, but fulfilling it so that in him, you and I, he receives our sin and we receive his righteousness. Whoo, Isaiah 53, 6, another prophecy about Jesus. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took the punishment that we deserve through his death on the cross. Furthermore, Paul writes this in Romans 5, 17 and 18. As he's contrasting how sin and death came through Adam, he also contrasts how life and righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men the solution to sin is not a DIY it is not you earning it it is not you being better it is not you following all the rules it is not you making all kinds of sacrifices it is not even you being a good person because deep down inside you're not a good person did I just offend you I would like to say I'm sorry but I can't because the Bible tells us that that all have sinned all have sinned. All are unrighteous. There is not one who is righteous. We can't attain that standard on our own, but we don't have to because God, through Jesus Christ, has given us opportunity to receive his righteousness. His righteousness. There, there, is, a, there is a vivid illustration in, in the Old Testament prophetic book of Zechariah. And, 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 and it just, it, it, I, I couldn't find a better illustration than a scriptural illustration through, through, through a, a prophetic vision that Zechariah the prophet had received in the Old Testament. It's found in Zechariah chapter 3 and it's a, it's a kind of a courtroom scene. You, you have God, the righteous and holy judge, his righteous and holy standard. And there's a high priest by the name of Joshua who is standing there before him and his, he's in robes and these robes are filthy. They're filthy as he stands before, and there stands next to him an accuser. You might as well say it's Satan, the accuser, and the accuser is accusing Yeshua, the priest, whose robes are just, they're just, they're just dirty and filthy, and, 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 and he's accusing him before the righteous judge. Uh, uh, what, a, what a picture, standing guilty, accused before God. And Satan making his case and the accused standing there guilty in these stained priestly robes. Yet watch what happens. Zechariah chapter 3, starting in verse 3. We're going to read 3 through 5, then we're going to skip to verse 8. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. 
So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Yeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins. And now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. This is Zechariah who's watching this. And so they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. And then in verse 8, it says, listen to me, O Yeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests, you are symbols of things to come. You are symbols of things to come. Soon, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Do you see the connection? My servant, the branch. Who is the branch? The branch is Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ do? He takes our filthy clothes. He is the great high priest. He himself took upon our sin. And instead, he takes our filthy robes he takes our filthy clothes, he takes our filthy turban, and he takes it off. And instead of our filthiness standing before God, we have clean and righteous robes because we stand in Christ. We stand in Christ. Isaiah, another prophet, 61.10. He says this, I am overwhelmed with joy. I love that. In the Lord my God. For he has, look at this, dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Let that sink in. You, you, you can't put on, you can't be, you can't clean yourself up. There, there, there is not enough detergent that's going to be able to clean you up. I'm sorry, but Tide and all and all the others, Oxy, whatever, can't do it. It is only Jesus Christ through his blood that gives us robes of righteousness that we are clothed in. Robes of righteousness that we are clothed in, our filthy garments exchanged for the pure robes that Jesus, our Lord, our Lord, the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu puts on us. Therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the apostle Paul can say that if any man is in Christ, if any man is in Christ, in Christ, I'm hidden in Christ, the old has passed away, behold, all things become New, I am new, I am clean, I am righteous when I am in Christ. Come on, somebody. See, sin is a problem we all have. God is righteous, he is holy, he is the standard, he is the line, and he does not change, and he does not compromise. But you and I transgress, we cross the line. You and I have iniquity, we bend and twist to fit our mold and our desires and what we want, and we are constantly falling short of his glory. Oh, what a wretched man am I, the apostle Paul said. But then he said this, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because it's not my righteousness, but it's his righteousness. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I am found in him, I am dressed in his righteousness alone as I stand before the throne. Come on, somebody. He is the one that provides us our solution. Reminds me of the hymn. Edward Moe wrote just one hymn in his lifetime. It was originally known as my hope is built on nothing less, properly known as Christ the solid rock I stand. And verse 1, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then you get to verse 4. Here it is. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Faultless to stand before the throne because I'm dressed in his righteousness alone. I stand on Christ, the solid rock. And in him, I don't have to worry about my unrighteousness because I am clothed in his righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that is salvation. Jesus is the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu, he is the Lord, our righteousness. Come on, worship team. Philippians chapter 3, 8 and 9. Paul said this, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not trying to obey the law, not a righteousness by trying to be good, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous from God that depends on faith. It is faith in Jesus that makes me righteous. He is the Lord, our righteousness. He is the Lord, my righteousness. Do you have the robes of righteousness because of faith in Jesus Christ? If you are feeling guilty, if you are feeling ashamed, if you are struggling in sin and unrighteousness, it is not you. You can't fix it. You can't DIY it. You will never be good enough, but you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will clothe you in his righteousness and your guilt and your shame and your fear will go because as you stand before the righteous judge of all the earth where you say, I keep falling short. I have transgressed the line. You will find that he will look at you and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Salvation. I don't see. What sin? The accuser. Don't you know? Here's the list. Don't you see? No, I don't see any of that. All I see is Jesus. All I see is his blood. All I see is his cleansing blood. Who needs the righteousness? The Lord, our righteousness. Do you need Jehovah said Kenu, the Lord, our righteousness? Do you need Jehovah said Kenu today? Hallelujah. 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 Have you transgressed? Is there iniquity in your life? Have you sinned and missed the mark against God and you need his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy? You need his righteousness today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I need your righteousness, O oh Lord. I need your righteousness, O oh Lord. I need your salvation, O oh Lord. I need your forgiveness, O oh Lord. Father, we just come right now in our unrighteousness. We repent, God, before you of our unrighteousness. Lord, we have missed the mark. God, we have transgressed against you. God, at times we have, we have bent the rules. We have bent the standard. We have bent the line to fit our own desires and, and, and our own ones. Oh, God, forgive us today. Lord, we put our faith in you, Jesus, to be our righteousness. We can't be righteous on our own. We put our faith in your blood, in your, what you did for us on the cross, that you paid the wages and the debt of my sin, that I might have eternal life that I might be clothed as a pure and spotless bride, dressed in your garments, dressed in righteous garments, in the righteous garments, exchanging my filthy garments 
to the clothing and the garments that you want to put upon me. Father, we thank you for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.